Hi everyone, afternoon everyone. It is after, oh, it's not even quite afternoon yet, it's only 11.49. Hello everyone, um, I hope you are good, hope you enjoyed the worship. Worship was really, I enjoyed it anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed it at home. Um, and obviously as Nuika brilliantly said, today's uh, service, young adult service, um, obviously the topic um, that we're going to be kind of leading from is discipleship. So... We're going to be, I'm going to be talking a bit about discipleship and what I think it is and what, what I've researched and what I've kind of, kind of collected up together to kind of see what it is, right? So discipleship comes from the word disciple. So an initial definition means one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrine, doctrines of another. Uh, another definition, a, a disciple has been, sh- has been shown to be someone who follows the teachings, life, and aim of another until the, the person becomes like the master. Discipleship is the Christian sense, um, like in a Christian sense, is the process of making someone become like Christ. The disciple of, like for example, so the disciple of Christ is to become like Christ in everything, so Christ-like. So I've got a quick video um, that was shown to me earlier in the week um, by one of the other young adults, Katrina, and I thought it was a brilliant video. Um, and I think it just breaks down everything, what I've just said, but in an in a easier way, in a more visual way. Could we play that video, please? Jesus did big things. He gathered people together and taught them and fed them and met their needs in big ways. We want to do what Jesus did, so we also do big things like weekend services, kids club, community groups, and go trips. Jesus wanted people to know him and do the things he did, but he knew you could only learn so much standing in a crowd. So he also spent time with smaller groups of people, training them to be like him. He invested his life in making people who looked like him and could actually do what he did. Disciples who were mature, skilled in reaching seekers, growing up other believers, and literally changing the world. He called this method discipleship, and here's how it works. Imagine if you were offered a penny an hour for 30 days, or the option to double just one penny every day. Taking a penny every hour equals a lot of pennies pretty fast, but doubling a penny daily starts out really slowly. In five days, you've only got 16 cents. By day 10, you're still at just over five bucks. But around day 15, those numbers start going bonkers, and at the end of 30 days of doubling, you end up with nearly five and a half million dollars versus a measly seven dollars and 20 cents. Now, apply that to investing in people. What if you took an entire year to focus on just one group of six friends? What if at the end of that year, they could walk with God like you do and could even help others like you help them? We call these groups of friends huddles. Then in year two, you find a new group to help and they all do too. Now there are six people, not just one, who are changing lives like Jesus. If those six people each take on a group of six, then in one year, 36 people are ready to take on their own groups of six. Project forward 10 years and, well, the math just gets crazy. That's more disciples than would fit into the largest stadium in the world. That's the power of multiplication. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He gave us a mission, invest in people who will go outside themselves to reach lost people and train them to be like him. When we learn to make disciples like Jesus, this city will flip and the world will change.
Thank you. Thank you for that video. Um, I hope that explains a bit more in a more visual way of, of the importance and power of discipleship. I think that's a very, um, I think visual things help, to be honest. It helped me anyways in, in explaining, so I hope that helped you at home. So, one of the, the words that I kind of, or one of the terms that I kind of took from that was in investment, like discipleship being some sort of an investment, uh, investment of your time into someone else. And so, I've kind of created a scenario. So the analogy of, that came to mind of like asking for help comes to mind when, like say for example, we're shopping and wherever you are, you inquire about an item. So let's just say, I don't know, you're asking for trainers, yeah? Um, perhaps you want to see, you know, you're asking, you're looking around in the shop and you're thinking, oh, I like these trainers and I need another size, yeah? Can I just try another size? We all do it. Um, so you're looking around for the people in the shop and you're looking and then you eventually, I don't know, I don't know if this has happened to you guys, it's definitely happened to me, and you find like a group of like all the workers maybe in one corner, and they're maybe gossiping or just talking about something, and uh, you know, they're having a good time, and they're, they're, you, know, and they're, you know, they look like they're working, they're putting up the rails, but they're just all chatting, and they're having a, conversa they're having a great conversation in aisle three, yeah? Let's call it aisle three. And then you, the customer, almost feel like disrespectful to go over, and you're the customer, and you're like, oh, should I, oh, I don't know, they're talking, you know, should I, I do need my size. And so then you, you know, <laughs> you interrupt their convo and they look at you with such disgust as if to say, oh my gosh, why, why are you even bothering us? We're having a conversation. This is the workers, you know, yeah? And <laughs> they look at you with disgust and you ask them, you know, you say, can I please, can I, can I get another size? <laughs> can I get another size in this shoe? And they trudge over to you with no enthusiasm, no positivity, and they just do the bare minimum. And you're like, and you'll think to yourself, oh my gosh, they work here. I understand that you may not want to work, but you know, I'm asking for, I'm asking for help. So what I took from that is when we are describing Christianity and when we're aiming to spread and influence people with, with the word, we are investing our time into something we can't act like we're selling a bog standard product, an item, and we kind of act like we don't care about it. And we can't act like it's, it's like a chore thing, it's not. Time is so important and precious, so if you, if you ain't wholehearted in this, in your approach, and I'll be honest with you, there is no point, you're just wasting your time. So Christianity is so massive, so interesting, so intriguing in every aspect, so many stories, life lessons, uh, and examples so, so relevant to, to, to what's going on in our lives today, we have no choice but to be creative and positive in the way that we tell others about it. So I'm going to break down something more. Tell me versus show me. Now, a lot of people work differently. So sometimes I could, I could, tell, you, I could tell someone something and they just do it instantly or they believe me instantly. Or if I show them something, it, they find it better, they find it more visual, visually understanding and, they, and they, they, they work better like that. So both ways are amazing in my opinion because people learn so differently and diversely. Someone you speak about Christ to could be sold in your first conversation with them, i.e. that work colleague. There's always that work colleague that's always asking about church. And like, oh, you know, just tell me about church, but I really love the way Christians do that. And you know the way they talk. And you just think, oh, gosh. And then when you take them to the church, you take them to your church and they're in love and they're literally, that's it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've, you know, I've, I've helped a work colleague and now they're a Christian. Amazing. 
But then there's that other, there's, and, and telling someone about Christianity is amazing, especially in the way, you know, if you can in, intrigue them with your words and examples. However, with the show me kind of side of things, you see with discipleship, I believe it has like branches and branches out into many different side categories, categories such as mentorship. And so with the show me side of things, they may not only want to see God living and breathing through your everyday life, when they embark in their own journey, they will still require your help and guidance, which is also okay. So in comparison to the first example I gave you with that work colleague, with that, that person that's just intrigued at the first instance, and, and literally, you don't even have to, you talk to them when you're at church, but you know what, after a while, because they've, they're sold on that first conversation, on that first experience they had, you kind of don't, not that you don't need to talk to them, but they're okay, right? But there's other people that work differently where they may need the nurturing, they may need the, con- the constant um, and consistent talking to, right? And as I was saying, in order for, you know, you can kind of compare that to plants, right? In order for plants to grow, they cannot go without consistent food, light and water. It's a fact. So show me. As I said, some people need to be shown, shown through their life, but you, the individual who is showing that person, who's showing who, when you're branching out and when you're, when you're talking to someone about Christ, have to ensure that within yourself that you are practicing and attempting to live a righteous life. How can you tell someone about the word and all its info, but be displaying a different lifestyle that contradicts what you've told the person? That's why it's very important that if we're an example and we are displaying that and we are showing them, that we are literally practicing what we preach. It's like saying that you've got this great product, you know, you've got this Nivea cream, um, and, and, you, and you're boosting it up to your friend, you're like, yeah, man, this, this, cream's, so, this cream's so good. Um, and, you know, and they're like, yeah, man, I'm interested. In it. You know, it looks amazing, man. I, how does it feel on your skin? And then you reply, oh, I don't really use it myself. I use cocoa butter instead. And they're like, what? <laughs> Or, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and, and, you know, and you're telling your friend, and they're like, oh, like, tell me more about it. And then you say something like, but, you know, back in the day, I believe I was a tiger in my former life, then I reincarnated. And you're just like, what? That doesn't. So do you see what I'm saying? So it doesn't work by just, by sometimes just telling the person, but you've got to show them in, in what you say and what your actions. And these days with Christian, with, with, um, with the world, they're, sometimes I do feel like they are kind of waiting on our downfall sometimes. So it's like they're waiting for you to slip up. So because they, you know, with Christians, you know, we kind of, we, we're trying to practice to be like God every day, every day and every day. And then say, for example, you do slip up in what you're, in what you're saying or, or in what you're actioning at work at, or wherever you are. And they're like, oh, I told you so. I thought you was a Christian. That's, what, that's the world that we live in. Right? So it is important to, to, to display exactly what we're preaching, exactly what we believe in, exactly what the word says, but display in everything we do, everywhere we go. So I've got here displaying correct attitudes and examples. And I want to go into the power of discipleship formed through the relationship of Moses and Joshua. Because I know with discipleship, I know, obviously, a lot of people kind of explain about, you know, Jesus and the disciples. And it's a great, obviously, great example. It's, it's one of the main ones. But I want to go into the one with Moses and Joshua, because I think it's key. 
So, as we all know, Moses was one of the most important men in the Bible, right? A legend in what he accomplished. Started from a shy young man, scared young man, to a great, amazing leader. The man who split the Red Sea and led the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity, yeah? The Lord spoke to him and appointed him as a prophet to speak the word of the Lord to his chosen people when they were journeying out of Egypt and into the promised land, right? So, Exodus 33:11 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. That's important. During his life and leadership, Moses had a young aide. Now, obviously, aide is just another, another name for an assistant, someone, you know, like um, someone that's under him kind of thing, yeah? Or a helper. So Joshua was Moses' helper, eventual successor. And it is clear that Moses and Joshua spent a lot of time together. Joshua went up the mountain with Moses to receive the law while everyone else remained, Right? Joshua learned the proper way to live and lead and thus was chosen to take his place and carry on the mission. So as I was saying about in Exodus 33, 11, when it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face and as one speaks to a friend, then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Joshua was with him. Joshua was with Moses in pretty much most of, of Moses' life in regards to everything that Moses did. Joshua was there. It's like he was there learning with a little notepad, writing down things, taking advice and stuff, right? So even in that example in Exodus 33, so another reason as to why this was evident is I'm, I'm sure we'd all agree that like when we were reading the Bible for the, first, for the very first time, I know I did, and when we was following Moses' journey, maybe when you was really young and you're, and you're reading the word, you're reading Moses' story for the first time, and, and you'd think, yeah, and you would think that following Moses' complete journey from where he came from, from a shy young man, to the great leader he was, leading Israel out, um, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, and then obviously into the wilderness and where they're, you know, they're journeying onto that promised land. And then it's like all of a sudden, like an, East, like an EastEnders episode, isn't it? Where Moses has the rock in front of him and God asks him to speak to the rock and then Moses strikes it and then the episode ends and you've got your head in your hands, and you're like, oh my gosh, Moses, why you do that, man? Why didn't you just... But you, see, <laughs> but you see, all this time, due to discipleship, Joshua had endured. He was able to pick up what was left, what, was, what Moses left, using Moses' own principles and leadership, who he'd gained from God, um, and his guidance added a few things of his own and continued to be a great leader in his own right. We all thought, to be honest, when I read it, I thought Moses would, was going to lead the people into the promised land. But that one human error. But you know what? Joseph, J- Joshua was able to, to, to take what Moses had done and lead the people out. But if he wasn't under Moses, he wouldn't have been able to do that. Do you see what I'm saying? And so there I add, experience breeds growth. So, if we turn to Exodus um, 17, verses 8, and I'm going to be reading from the American um, 
the American version. Sorry, because that's just the way it just helps me a lot. Sorry. Okay. So I hope everyone's returning their Bibles, whether it's your virtual Bible or it's your paper Bible. Let's get to Exodus 17, 8. And so it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out. Um, choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow and I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses and Aaron and Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand and um, that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hand Amalek, Amalek prevailed but Moses, Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and then he sat, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and her stayed up, his, um, stayed up his hands, and the one on the one side, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of his sword. And Jehovah said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of, the name of it Jehovah Nissi. And he said, Jehovah hath sworn, Jehovah will have war. Jehovah will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So in that, what I took from that, it was as if Moses said to Joshua, look, I'm not physically fit to go into battle with you, but I trust you to go into battle for me, and I won't just leave you to it, but I'll oversee the battle from the mountaintop and make sure I'm still here supporting and helping you. And by the raising of the hands, it will give us victory. And obviously, as, as, it, as it said in the scripture, when he put his hand down, Amulek, Amulek was, was, was kind of gaining control of the battle. The key with discipleship, because it can branch into so many other things, the one labeled in this story, I believe, is mentorship. And it's so key that, we're, that when we are spreading the, the word, that you aren't, um, when you're spreading the word and you're speaking to someone, that you not necessarily think, because as I said at the beginning, not everyone can just take heed in, in the first kind of encounter with that. Not everyone can do that. But that, you're, um, that when you're speaking to someone, um, you're nurturing them, you're protecting them, you're advising them over a sustained period of time. Moses could have just left Joshua to go to battle on his own. His first, that was his, I believe that was, his, that was Joshua's first battle, I believe, I think so. And even in his first battle, Moses, who physically wasn't there, but was in the mountaintop helping Joshua. What's also in, no, sorry. And then, if you read... Joshua 1, verse 1 to 17, I believe it's like the passing over from Moses, the master, to Joshua, in a way that where Joshua directs the Israelites, um, what is, you know, when, where Joshua directs the Israelites, what is needed, and they respond in, in a way where they've, they've like seen Joshua shadow Moses, and, and it's like they're saying that we trust you and follow your instructions. So an example of this is, you know, Joshua leading battles when Moses, Moses was no longer there, and was the battle of Jericho, which we all know how that ends and goes. And what is so important about this is that I don't think discipleship starts and ends with, with just one person who is directly under your guidance. 
right? But God is so powerful and so, so all-knowing, so amazing that he has a way of reaching far more people than we can even imagine. And your time taken to nurture someone can then lead them to even more lives being brought to God. And so, as I come to the end, I want us to kind of picture in our minds that, especially with the example that I gave you with, with Moses and Joshua, and that when we are bringing people to Christ and when we are speaking to them, that, that A, that we're living a righteous life and that we're, we're continuing to do that, you know, because we are being watched as Christians, we are being watched more than ever now. If we're saying that, you know, we believe in a God that, that does this for us and does this for us in a world where right now 2020 has been terrible, right? And if we're saying that we're Christians, we have, we have the formula to, to keep our heads above water with the God that we serve, then we have to make sure that we, we're living a life, a, a righteous life, and we're displaying that in our actions, on our everyday actions, because we're being watched. And so, and more so importantly as well, that with Joshua and Moses, that you could see that the growth with Joshua looking at Moses and watching Moses and learning from Moses. And if we're the, if we're the Moses in this situation and we're trying to appeal to our work colleague or someone that, we, you know, that we're speaking to about Christ out there, you know, the Joshua in that example, then we've got to, we've got to make sure that we're not just leaving them to it that we are nurturing them, that we are treating them like a plant, we are feeding them, we are looking after them. We have to make sure we're doing that. So I wanted to, before, you know, before I close, I kind of wanted to leave a scripture in your minds. And it's from John 15, verse 4. And it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit it is, um, if it is served if it is, oh my gosh, I said it wrong. <laughs> if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I think that's a really powerful scripture. I'm not going to expand it because I think it's more or less, it talks for itself. But as I wanted to close and as I close now, I just want us to think about discipleship and how effective it is and how we are using it in our everyday lives and, and, and how important it is especially nowadays now, people are looking for that light. People are looking for, for, for someone to, you know, to kind of rescue them from their situations more than ever. 2020 has, hasn't been the best year, really hasn't been. And a lot of people keep talking about it, but it hasn't. And now we, as Christians, discipleship is more important than ever now. We have to, we have to, we have to, we have to make sure that when we are saying to that person, look, I understand 2020 has been terrible. I understand you've lost your auntie. I understand you might have lost your uncle or, or, or such and such. But you know what? I serve a God that is amazing. I serve a God that is truly awesome. Come, to, come over here. Come to church. Come into our Zoom sessions on a Tuesday or Thursday, Sunday. Come into our youth sessions on a Friday or whatever it is. And whilst you're doing that, that you're also being a really good example a really good example to them. So, I want to finish on that note. So I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Um, I took something from that. Uh, thank you for your time. <laughs>